Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. We're back with another episode of The Stacks, your one-stop shop for all things books and reading. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you all to Joseph Papa. Joseph is an author, activist, and former book publicist. Today, we're talking about the publishing world, book influencers, and also Scientology. Before we get to that, let's do a little housekeeping. Everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the link in the show notes. That link will take you to all the books, movies, articles, and anything else that we discussed on today's show. Also in the show notes, you'll find links to all of our social media accounts so you can stay connected to the stacks. Want more of The Stacks? Head over to patreon.com slash The Stacks to be part of The Stacks Pack. That's our own community that gets you inside access to this show. You can join our virtual book club, find out about our guests in advance, get the inside scoop, and a lot more. So head over to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash The Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and that you leave us a rating and a review. It goes a long way in helping the show reach new audiences. Our most recent review comes from Engineers Read 2, and they say, absolutely love this podcast. Tracy always chooses great authors and books, and the conversations are so honest and unfiltered. Love it. That is a very nice review. Thank you so much. It's super easy to write these reviews over on iTunes and it helps the show so much. If you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to review the show. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Now it's time for my conversation with Joseph Papa. All right, you guys, I'm so excited. I'm here today with my friend, Joseph Papa, who is an author, a former publicist, an avid reader, and an advocate. Joseph, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you so much, Tracy. Um, I'm really excited that you're here. That was like a super boring introduction because it was like, this is what I do for work type things. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Well, the book piece of it, I worked in uh, book publishing for just under 10 years. I was a publicist at HarperCollins, working mostly on celebrity and pop culture titles, which is um, where I was when you and I met. And um, then two years ago, uh, just over two years ago, moved back to my home state of Virginia to uh, become the communications director for Equality Virginia, which is an LGBT advocacy group, uh, a job that I held until recently, um, where I left to do a bit of freelancing and some around progressive causes. Amazing. And 
you and I met in New York City at Indian food, which I don't eat, at a friend's birthday. And we fell in love because I was talking about how I was reading Gone with the Wind. And you were like, oh, I'm publishing this Gone with the Wind book. And I was like, should we be friends? Can I have a copy? Well, I wanted to publish it, but we we ended up not getting it. But a friend, oh. a, a good friend was writing a publishing history, which is like the nerdiest t- possible Sounds right. book. Uh, but she she at the time was publishing a uh, – and did go on to publish um, – it's called, she, she named the book Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind, which is okay. a little confusing for search yes. searching. Uh, but um, yes, we that, I think we bonded over that. That's and, horrible for searching. It's not great. I don't know why someone didn't tell her. Sorry, Ellen, if you hear this. The book is wonderful, um, but the book the title is hard to search because obviously the real Gone with the Wind is going to come up. Right. So right. Anyway, so we bonded over that, and then you worked in books, and you worked at Harper Collins, and I would just come visit you and take things off the shelf. Being able to give free books to people was the best. It was without question the best part of that job. And HarperCollins made it so easy. I mean, they were they were just they are. I think still a very generous company. I mean, they mm-hmm. they you know they're f- flexible with review copies. They want books out there in the world um, to people who are tastemakers and interested, and so and people who come to my office to steal them. <laughs> people who are just thieves. So, how did you get into book publicity? Because it's kind of niche. It was very strange. And and when I started, everyone – there was this kind of joke and there's a great joke on 30 Rock where the daughter – like the daughter of a super wealthy guy, she – she isn't going to get the job that she wants. So she says, now I'll just have to marry a finance guy and to go into publishing. <laughs> and it's kind of like, that's a lot of who works in book publishing. It's very, I mean, when I started, everyone was living with their parents. Everyone at my level was mm-hmm. living with their parents or like a trust fund kid. Um, and then there was me. So I was working at the library of Virginia and I was in charge of bringing authors into the library for programs, um, for book talks and that sort of thing. And I went up for work, um, to sort of advertise our series to meet with publishers and in the middle of a meeting at HarperCollins, this woman named Dee Dee DeBartlow, who's a freelance publicist now, she just sort of stopped the meeting and said, I have to run, but do you want to work here? <laughs> and I, it, it just took me so off guard and I had always thought, sure, I'll, I'd, I'd like to live in New York one day. And I just sort of said yes. And she said, well, come by my office when you're done. I did. And she offered me the job and I moved to New York three weeks later. Wow. And the job was to be a book publicist right off the bat? It was a, I was an assistant publicist, um, which was, I sort of moved down. I mean, if we're, I don't really care about titles, but I was, <laughs> I was, I was a little higher up at the Library of Virginia, but like recognizing that it was a bit of an industry shift. Got um, it. I, yes. So I started as an assistant. So you were demoted. I was demoted. Thank you. Okay. Some people who are listening to this are going to be very familiar with what a book publicist mm. is, but I, feel like before I started doing this and before I knew you, this was a job that I had no idea existed. So can you kind of talk about what a book book publicist does and what it is and like what a day in the life is Uh, like? Yes. And I hope that my parents will listen because after 10 years of doing it, they still don't know what (laughs) I did. I think my, my dad still to this day thinks I wrote every book that I worked on. Perfect. Um, or that Including I had, Regis Philbin. Especially Regis. Like he told people that I wrote Regis Philbin's book, which is not true. Um, I was Regis, Regis's publicist. Um, and it sort of varies. I mean, like I said, the books that I worked on were mostly celebrities. So my part in the, in the equation was a little different, but not that different. I mean, essentially as a publicist, you get the book about six weeks six months, excuse me, before it publishes, um, hopefully. 
um, and you start working on a on your like long lead media. So uh, you know magazines that are monthly, morning shows that are planning that far out, weekday you know uh, daytime shows that are planning, and you start sort of mapping out what that's going to look like from a media perspective, and and sending that to reviewers and sending it to producers at if it's if it's a book that can get on TV, and you start you start booking a tour. You know if if the author's going to go on a tour, which not all authors not all authors do. Um, you start planning that tour. Sometimes, you know, you have to do that six, four, five months out. And as the book is, when the book is done, when it's handed in and is getting, you know, going through the actual process of being turned into a book, that's when the author sort of switches over from the editors. Um, you know, the editor has been their main point of contact to that point, but that's when the publicist sort of takes, not really takes over. I mean, but Becomes, the editor's done. The book's done. Exactly. Like, I mean, the editor is still the sort of like when there's a meltdown or when there's a, a freak out about something. Right. Because they have a better relationship because they've been with the author. Right. Generally. Longer because yeah. they've been editing. Right. Okay. And so then you you sort of see the book through its life as it goes on sale and those important few weeks that follow a book's on sale date. And so how long are you with the book after it's out in the world? I mean, sometimes it's as short as two weeks because that's really like when like a book needs to make that splash in two weeks or 99% of the time, it's not going to have a life short of some major event happening. Right. Like uh, Oprah that, picking it or right, something. Or the, the, the subject just happens to, you know, do something, you know, that makes a big splash. But or the stacks picking it. Correct. Right. I should have mentioned. Obviously o- Oprah was under is like major event, the stacks. Right. Other things, Oprah. No, that just goes without saying. Right, of course. Thank you for when I was When I was – that was always the thing that would drive everyone crazy until her show was – until Oprah stopped doing her show because every author or every editor or every – I'm sorry, uh, every agent would say, oh, what about Oprah? As if as if no one had ever thought about right. it. Like, as right. a publicist, that was the most annoying question to get. Right. But what about Oprah? What about NPR? And what about the New York Times? As if – Like you'd never you'd, reached out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Oh, you think your book should be on Oprah? Oh, the book. Oh, the New York Times. Do they cover books? Yeah, yeah I didn't that, know. That's actually amazing. It happened course. all the t- time, and it was so infuriating. And for about a two-year span, there was, can we get a Lena Dunham blurb? Like, everyone <laughs> wanted a Lena Dunham blurb. Right. She was, like, publishing gold. Do you get – Do who gets the blurbs? It's kind of a mix. Um, it's usually the author um, who, you know, sort of sends to friends, but – Actually, I would say it's it's a mix because sometimes the agent will you know if if I agent you know Stephen King mm-hmm. uh, and I've got a young up and coming mystery writer, okay. I'm going to ask Stephen King to blurb it got or it. whatever the genre. Sure, yeah. sure, okay. Same with editors. You know, if if you're the editor, if there's a connection, you'll go through it. However, you can get there. So if it's the editor, the agent, and then do do the publicists try as well if they have the connection. They have I mean, connect. and then. The publicists are responsible for the trade blurb. So like if you see a blurb on the back of the book that's from Kirkus Publishers Weekly mm-hmm. Book List or Library Journal, and are, which are the main four trade publications, the, the publicist is responsible for getting those. And those are usually the only ones you would have in time to get on a on the, on the you know hardcover printing or, right. or if it's a paperback original um, because you're not going to send it to the New York, New York Times, Times or right. – Oprah or whoever before that. Right. That would, that's what comes up on the paperback. Correct. If it's worth it. Correct. Or um, on a second printing, if it goes into a, you know, got it. a hu- huge success in you. Okay. So you mentioned like taste makers or like 
influencers is I guess what we would call them now. But when you were, cause you were doing this kind of before the boom of like bookstagram or Instagram influencing. But when you're reaching out to a tastemaker with a book, what are you looking for? What's the hope there that they just tell people they're reading it? Yes. I mean, it, I think for so much of book publicity and book marketing and, and something like that sort of falls into this gray area of mm-hmm. publicity and marketing, I mean, right. which is, is never really defined or never was for me. Oops. Um, <laughs> sorry, anyone's book I worked on. Um, you could have done better. Uh, but I mean, it's, you know, something, I mean, as we see now, somebody, and this was, you know, like you said, to your point, this was before Instagram, but somebody like a, a Jenner uh-huh. holding up a book in a, or holding up a product in, in a, in a social media post, you know, ups the ante. Right. We were looking for that on such a smaller scale. I mean, right. this is, you know, obviously before, like you said, I mean, I was, I mean, Instagram was around, but it wasn't really the, the, the tool it that the it go is to. now. Right. But is there like on your end, are you looking for, obviously if Kylie Jenner holds up your book, great, but are you targeting people specifically like, okay, I have this book about Appalachia. So I'm going to target specifically people in Virginia and West Virginia and like Annapolis, or are you, or I have a book by an Asian American author. So I'm going to target Asian American influencers, or are you like, I'm going to just target whoever is the biggest and hope that Asian American people just find this book because, because they're Asian and they will kind of thing. Sure. Well, I, I I mean, I think for like, if the book was about Appalachia or Appalachia, because somebody, somebody will correct us. Um, but we said it both ways. I'm from so. California. I say things wrong. I'm from Virginia and I should know, but <laughs> I screwed up. I'm not from that part of Virginia, but you know, for that, you're looking more for review coverage. I mean, I can't think of any, I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is maybe you would find like some bluegrass musicians or, or something, but musicians or something, but it doesn't really, I don't know. Um, you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to send out you know, 4,000 free books, you want to, you do want to, you know, narrow it down. So if you've got a book about design, uh, you know, interior design, you're going to want to send it to people who are in that space, but then also recognizing that they probably also have a, they might also have a book or might be thinking about a book. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that weird line of, you know, will you actually promote this or is this competition? Correct. Yeah. Interesting. And, and so like before, before the, before that, before Instagram and before, that was as, as, as powerful of a tool. It was just sort of getting it in the hands and hoping that they said something nice about it on a TV show or which happened. I mean, Lady Gaga, uh, one of the last books I worked on before I left Harper Collins was, um, Tama Janowitz's memoir. She's the, she originally wrote her big book was slaves of New York in the Mm -hmm. Mm eighties. She was part of the Brat Pack and she sort of moved to upstate New York and kind of retired, so to speak. But she wrote a memoir a few years ago and, you know, it turns out that Lady Gaga was a huge fan. And mm. then we were able to parlay that into Gaga interviewing her for uh, V Magazine. Oh, fine. And so, you know, I mean, just connections like that are what you hope for. Right. Like and, real organic right. connection versus someone holding up a book and being like, right. this book is coming out today. Like right. you'd much rather have someone be like, I'm obsessed with this book and try I mean, to build. Right. And I, I think even, things. I mean, I used to send um, a, a good friend of mine who's also an author, his name is uh, his name is Jeffrey Self, and he had his TV show on Logo, and he's a bit of an online personality. He's a gay Twitter celeb. Yes, um, 
and it, he's, he's in search party on TBS and a few other things. I would send him a box of books a couple of times a year. I mean, he's a friend and also, but he, he would open, he would film himself opening them mm-hmm. and it was just funny. It made for good. Right. And that's before unboxing yeah, this videos. Was, yeah. This was on YouTube. I mean, he was doing this on YouTube, okay. you know, like from his phone to YouTube and like before <laughs> they were like, now it's, that would perfectly go into a, a story. someone's story. Right. But he, you know, and I don't think he was doing it. I mean, I never said, can you do this? So again, like to your point, like that sort of organic piece of it is what um, kind of made that work. And like builds that sort of relationship. Right. For and and I would send, I sent him like Debbie Reynolds memoir, right. um, you know, things that, a book about Liberace. So, I mean, I'm pigeonholing, but. Right. Right. But that's like kind of what you're, what right. you're supposed to be doing as a publicist is finding ways to find the right home for your book because a good, an authentic, good review goes a long way. Right. Okay. Interesting. And then, and then trying to do something with the media that's a little more nuanced. Cause I mean, I can send Jeffrey a box of books and you know, he may never read them. I think he did. He's an avid reader, but you know, with the, with, when you're sending it to a reviewer who's getting hundreds of books a day, sometimes mm-hmm. in the busy publishing season, mm-hmm. you know, in spring and fall, um, ahead of spring and fall when, when a lot of books are published, you really try to find a way to <laughs> stick out. I'm laughing cause I just remembered, um, I worked on uh, Chris Harrison's romance novel, Chris Harrison, Amazing. the host of The Bachelor. I didn't do a ton of fiction, but I, I worked on that because of his, you know, he's a celebrity or celebrity adjacent. And he's a celebrity. I love the show. Okay. Sorry. I don't, I've never seen an episode, <laughs> um, except my friend Steven's brother was on it. Um, anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Um, he, wait, that's Jason. Jason right? Tartic. Yeah. Yeah. He now dates Caitlin, former bachelorette. I, I, I'm, he's a famous loser. Who's now a winner. See, I don't know what that means. I mean, I know he didn't, but, <laughs> but um, he, uh, so I worked on Chris Harrison's book. Chris was, could not have been lovelier. It was this romance set in Texas, very charming, very, you know, genre. Right. And I was thinking of a way to, you know, cause it's, it was a paperback original. It doesn't, I mean, Chris Harrison carries right. a lot of weight, but I really wanted to find a way to make a splash. So I sent the book, the galleys. And, and when you get a galley, which is the advanced copy before you get the finished book that for you to send out to reviewers and things, um, when I when I sent out the galley mailing, I found these inflatable roses on um, mm. one of those like party mm-hmm. like U line mm-hmm. or whatever party trading company, and you um, you just had to punch it with your fist, um, like right. bang it with your fist a few times, and it would inflate automatically, oh, okay. like an ice pack kind of. Yes, and so. I, I mailed them with the book and with a, like a cute little note that said, simply, you know, bang this with your fist a few times to inflate. But what happened was that they inflated in the mail. <gasps> so people banged on them when they got them. <laughs> uh, and they were this, the, whatever materials made them um, uh, inflate, inflate it, it got all over people. Okay. So I, this writer from the New York, uh, from New York magazine sent me this scathing email at, uh, asking me, well, cause I'd sent a follow-up, like, hope you got the blah, blah, blah. And he sent me this thing. Yeah, I got it. And you need to pay for my dry cleaning. <gasps> and somebody at the New York times thought that I had done it on purpose and wrote this. Uh, I, so I had to send out and I, I jumped ahead of myself. So I then had to, after he wrote me that I realized, oh no, this may have happened to other people. So I sent out a quick, like, Hey folks, so sorry. You may have gotten a package from me with a pre-inflated rose. Don't bang on it. Um, oops. And 
a writer from the a book writer from the New York from the Los Angeles Times took my email and tweeted it out and was like, "This is." I mean, she accused me of of it all being a ploy, like I had done that on oh. purpose, and and I had to write her back and be like, "Actually, I didn't. Can you please take that down?" Like she, it had my name in it, oh, no. and it was just this whole thing. I felt so bad because it the also um, it did fine. I mean, it, but it, it made Chris Harrison look bad too. Yeah, and he's such a good guy, and he's I I I just. And I value my relationships with media, so I certainly didn't. It was just, it was a, it was a big, uh, it was a disaster. Okay, well, here this goes perfectly into my next question. What are the parts of being a book publicist that are glamorous, and what are the parts about being a book publicist that are like horrible, like more things that people wouldn't think of? So, like, obviously, schmoozing with Chris Harrison mm-hmm. would be a glamorous moment, but like, what are some cool things about the job, and what are some things where you're literally like, this is why I hate. Book publishing. The, I mean, the glamorous piece, aside from obviously getting, I mean, I, I worked on celebrity books, so I was constantly working with these people and, and often getting to tour with them and like go be at the back, back in the view and stuff. Right. I mean, I would take that. Yes. But well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, in in addition to just being with them, which was often really lovely, you'd get to see whoever the other guests were on the show that you were Mm. taking them to. Um, and, you know, and that it's kind of like a seeing how the other half live a little mm-hmm. bit too, just mm-hmm. because you know you've got a car service, you are you know you're eating on an expense account, and I'm this is not again this is not a this is not from how most publicist life uh, lives right. go. I mean, this it, just happened because you were kind of pigeonholed in this celebrity. Yes. So like you were doing Regis, you did Russell Brand, right. you did uh, Molly Ringwald, right? So you were. Like right. if you're pu- if you're publishing a literary fiction, right? It's not quite as fancy. Correct, and I would always I, I often felt very guilty, and I don't know how. I mean, I, I, people who are good literary fiction publicists are, are far better than I am. They probably have to work twice, three times, five times as hard. But so much of what I did was less. You know, their their goal was getting the media from a lot of the projects I worked on. The media was there. Mm-hmm. I just had to um, strategize because. You know, if you book GMA, mm-hmm. the Today Show isn't going to follow you. Right. I mean, I think that you, know, you can count on one hand the amount of people um, who who have do do, done both. And um, I mean, I think Gaga did recently too, but for like a, a some charity project she was working on. I mean, it's it's a really they will not follow. And then when you get into the daytime space, it's a whole other world because so much of those programs don't air in the same time in the same market. Mm. So, you know, if you, you can't do Ellen before, you know, if you do Ellen, then you can't do any of the others. You, you know, maybe the view will follow Ellen, but Ellen will not follow the view and the talk won't, you know, you can't do the talk and the view. And then, I mean, it's this whole sort of, you know, and then you have to think, well, are they going to be in New York and what can we film in New York? And then when they're going to be in LA, what can we film there? And it just turns into this whole, so that, that was a lot of where my day to day was, which gets back to your first question, but to the question that you just asked, the glamorous parts, in addition to just being with the, the authors were proposal meetings because that was a chance to be with people who, you know, you're not always going to get the book, but when they're, Mm. when a book is being shopped around to different publishers, they, you know, they go and they meet with an editor at, at different at, at the different houses, publishing houses, and a publicist is generally on hand for those meetings. And so I got to meet. I mean, I'm I'm blank. Um, one of the weirdest and coolest meetings was um, that artist that blinks or sat there and like didn't blink for a while. Or 
Marina a brave mm, oh god anyway right, i'll find but it but it was notes. just um it, she was incredible and and you know we didn't get the book but the meeting was just powerful um, the other really cool thing was and i think this is just this so many editors will bring in books by psychics and mediums weird um well i think it's just for fun i mean okay. a lot of them get published but you get readings in these meetings <laughs> and so like we would everyone would jump to go to those meetings because you're just like, Oh God, you know, and you want to see. And like, right. I mean, I, I, I sat in one and the, and the editor who's sort of buttoned up and very, she was very, very private and kind of gruff. She left crying. I mean, the, the, the medium just like read Saw into her completely. I mean, he, uh, she, excuse me. I mean, she just found deep, deep seated, whatever's and and got to them immediately wow and so those were kind of fun and 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 getting to do that was just you know when when, when do you get to do that for right. free i think the less glamorous parts and the parts that you know just aren't i mean every job has them as it pertains to like the celebrities you know i hated so much of my job would be arguing about car services or mm. um you know somebody wants two suvs <laughs> and like why like they it's one person or maybe two people like you don't need, right. you know, um, I had to, for one of my authors, I had to go, we were getting down to like the negotiations of what we would cover because they wanted a, they wanted like 10 hotel rooms for hair and makeup, uh, manager, all these things. And book publishing just doesn't have that kind of money. I mean, right. books right, right, have been right. the same price for <laughs> 15 years. I mean, they're not, and that's not right. true, but, but it's just not, uh, they're not able to spend that kind of money. And so we were getting down to like, okay, well, they'll stay at their apartment. So they wanted a hotel, but they had an apartment in New York. But then we had to go out and like buy sheets, like the specific sheets for them and like blow up mattresses. I mean, it was just this whole, you know, that kind of stuff just got really old. And when you work, when you're working your tail off to get press for this book or to, to put together a good tour and to, you know, right. make this big bestseller. And then you're like quibbling over a, a, a Cadillac Escalade versus a, Chevy Suburban or whatever the big large cars. Yeah. Got it. Uh, that wasn't fun. No. That Pick, picking list also isn't fun. Like nice. when you do a media list, um, you've got, you know, you want it to be thoughtful. When you send out your finished copy review mailing, it's usually between like two and 400 copies. Okay. You really want it to be, it's just, you, you do a new list for every book and it's like, it's just a lot of clicking. Oh. I used to watch the Golden Girls while I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse to watch the Golden Girls. That's true. Okay. Before we jump to other things, you wrote a book, uh-huh. Elizabeth Taylor, say the whole thing. Elizabeth Taylor, a passion for life. Passion for life. <laughs> and I remember when this book came out, you were working on it and then she died. She, the day I turned it in, like finished the day after I, I had finished it, it, I was in the shower getting ready to go to work and I got out of the shower. I looked at my phone and I had like 28 text messages and I was like, and I knew it. I knew exactly what, I knew what had happened and she died. Um, so they rushed the printing. I think it was ready like three weeks later. They, and Chris Jenner like read it or something. <laughs> so right? It was like in People magazine. Like it was in Us Weekly, but like they, later, um, not right away. It wasn't right away because you know there were they. It all happened so quickly. I mean, they right. rushed the printing of the book, and um, I, I sort of can't fathom how she got a copy. I mean, I mean, it was obviously in bookstores, but yeah, Us Weekly asked her what she was reading, and I can't remember the other two books. Uh, but it, there was my book. Some like mystic poet, the Bible, and then another book. But it's just like I'm going to try to find it and link to it in the show notes because oh, I remember it I, was being hilarious. I can find it somewhere. Okay. It's amazing. 
Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Okay. We're going to jump. So we have this new segment. It's called Ask the Stacks. And listeners write in. They tell us like what they want to read. They give us a few things they like, a few things they didn't like, and then it's up to us to recommend some things. So with that being said, here we go. Today's Ask the Stacks. Oh, and I should tell you this. If you want to have your recommendation or you want us to recommend for you, email askingthestacks at gmail.com. It's very easy. Asking the stacks. That's what you're doing at gmail.com. Okay. So today comes from Catherine at readwithcat on Instagram. She says, I'm looking for either nonfiction about social issues or untold slash mistold history or a backlist fiction by an author of color. Some fiction that she's loved is Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, Homegoing by, I always fuck her name up, Yaa Jesse, Station Eleven by um, Emily I, Emily St. John Mandel. Do you know that book? I think uh, you'd like yeah. it. And then non- read it though. nonfiction titles, Hunger by Roxane Gay, Good and Mad by Rebecca Traster, Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. And then a few things that she didn't like were The Goldfinch, Not That Kind of Girl, Proof of Heaven, and Atonement. So that kind of gives us some things. Do you want to go first? Want me to go first? Well, I love that she didn't like the goldfinch. I just love it when someone doesn't like a novel that I also didn't like. I I love when people don't like what I don't like. It, it makes more so than happy. I love when people love what I love. Especially when it's like Popular. a book like that. When it's yeah. a book that people are just losing their minds over. Um, Correct. The fiction one is the fiction one's a little hard because I, I I you know and honestly your podcast has made me much more aware and much more intentional about reading authors of color. Um, and I wasn't avoiding them, but I certainly wasn't seeking them out, um, before. So that one, I, 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 nothing comes to mind immediately, but, um, there's a book that I read, um, when I was working at the library of Virginia, this is on the the nonfiction question, um, that really stuck with me. Um, it's called off white Okay, and it's a, it's a personal history, but it sort of looks at race relations in the South, in the, um, sixties and the, the author is, uh, is Jewish, okay. white, affluent. She has a black nanny 
Okay. And she sort of talks about the uh, the cross section of those worlds. Of she didn't feel fully white because she was Jewish in the South in the sixties, right. and she also was going to church with her black nanny, and the sort of uh, you know the feelings that that brought up, and and you know for a for a twelve year old or however she, you know she she thought you know she really had never seen anything like it and and really loved it. And she just, it, it's, she writes really, she wrote really well about navigating that world and sort of coming to terms with, which is why the title off white, right. I mean, not feeling, not feeling Fully. white, not feeling Jewish, not feeling black. I mean, she wasn't black, but right. you know, I see. Um, yeah. I, and it's, you know, it's probably 15 years old, but it's one that's really stuck with me. That sounds very interesting. Catherine, you're requests are right in my wheelhouse. They're like my favorite genre. So obviously I wrote down a million books for you. We can talk about this later. My go-to for mistold or untold history would be Blood in the Water by Heather Ann Thompson. It's about the Attica prison uprising. It won the Pulitzer. It's insane. It's delicious. Anything you think that you know about Attica, which if you were me going into it was not anything at all, except for Attica, Attica. But aside from that, you learn so much. It's about race and politics in the 70s and also the prison system. It's just, it's amazing. I also will just generally recommend John Krakauer for untold or mistold history. His book about uh, Pat Tillman called Un Under the Banner of Heaven. No, I lied. Called Where Men Win Glory is amazing, but Under the Banner of Heaven, also insanely good. And then for fiction, person of color, on the Station Eleven vibe, I would say Never Let Me Go by Kazu Ishiguro, who's a Japanese author. He's like a prolific Japanese author. It's kind of science fiction, but it's written like literary fiction and it's delish. Those would be my three, but I could send you thousands of these. So <laughs> slide into our DMs. Yeah, that, um, that is totally your. That's like my wheelhouse. Uh, backless fiction by people of color and nonfiction social justice. Anyways, that being said, if you want to have us recommend things to you in two weeks with our next guest, email snacks at gmail.com. Okay, we're going to talk about your books, Joseph. Mm. I've been waiting for this, getting to the official stacks question. I'm so nervous for this. Are you? A little bit. Because people always have such great answers. And yeah. I think but. people, I think all the answers are always really good because people are passionate about their own answers. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like if some people, I get the same answers a lot and I still am like, oh, that makes so much sense about you. Because I feel like your sure. answers say something about you as a reader and you read a ton and you read professionally. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's part of the problem. Well, not part of the problem, but like part of why I'm so nervous is because there, there was about a 10 year span where I was reading professionally. So I wasn't always reading for fun. And, right. and part of the job is, you know, part of my job was reading these proposals. So I'd come home with, and I'm a slow reader, unfortunately. So I'd come home with sometimes two, 300 pages to read overnight, which for the editors that I worked with, that's, 30 right. minutes. But for me, it's a lot longer. So right. I, I was, there was a period where I just wasn't reading enough of like Pleasure the books that were or like, Oh, the big books that I everyone see. was talking about. I mean, I knew of them and I, you know, I said, I bought them and I said, Oh, I'll read them later. And then now you're getting 10 years to them. later. Now I'm getting to them in my retirement. Well, well, my retirement. Okay. Well, let's start where I always start two books you love and one book you hate. Two books I love. Um, this is going to make me sound like it's weird because they're both fiction. Well, yeah, they're both fiction and I'm not, I don't, I, I prefer nonfiction over fiction, yes. but The History of Love by Nicole Krauss okay. is, I think, just one of the most beautiful novels ever. Um, it just, I, her writing is, is stunning in that. And the second is The Lover's Dictionary by David uh, 
Leviathan, I think it's how you say oh, his yeah. last name. He writes some like YA. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not, I don't think this is, this was a branded as YA, but it's obviously, it's not a full dictionary, but it's just a, a to Z letters. And he has, the definition is uh, basically like a little mini short story almost right. about a relationship. And it's mm. just so beautiful. We actually, my husband and I did a, we had a reading at it from our wedding. I was going to say, I've heard of this and that's probably why. Yeah. Okay. What Tracy about the, was at my wedding. Folks. I was invited. Thank you. And I looked stunning as always. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> I actually wore a white skirt with flowers and I asked you if it was okay if I wore a white skirt. I, well, it's so, I mean, that's it was one a the... male, male, male wedding. So I didn't feel like I wasn't going to be competing with a woman in white. I would never have done it if there was a bride or two. I don't understand that, like why you wouldn't, but. Uh, uh, because the, you've never been a bride. That, that's true. Because I would have raged if someone showed up to my wedding in white. You know who else showed up to my wedding in white? Who? And asked permission? Who? Molly Ringwald. Uh, but my But you asked permission first. But my skirt was a lot of it had giant flowers, but the base right. was white. Right. And she was also like she sang at it, so yeah. she was like front and she center. She was the bride. Right. Well, maybe I'll share some pictures of us from oh, the that's a good idea. on the Instagram. And the horse. Oh yeah, there was there was <laughs> go to the stacks lifestyle <laughs> to see pictures of Joseph's wedding. Okay, you guys don't care about this. No. What's a book you hate? Oh, who's that white guy that uh yes. um the uh, novelist that yes, everyone Jonathan loves. Franzen. That's it. I we can't him. stand him. He's horrible. Uh, I just, what was, I tried to read a marriage plot and I tried to read the corrections. I tried I to read the corrections Freedom. for 10 years. I tried, was it Oprah that loved the corrections? Yeah, yeah, she well, but and she made Freedom her book club pick okay. because she loved the corrections. I, I tried and I just, I just, I can't get into them. I don't like them. Yeah. Also, do you know what else I hated? And I think you loved it. Right. And I, you can delete this if he's because I think he might be a friend of the show. Um, less. Oh I, no, I didn't like less. Okay, we did it on the show. Zeke, who is our guest, he liked. Okay, it. that's right. That's I right. thought less. I didn't hate it. I just I thought it was like fine writing and like good. I just kind of felt like, what's the point? Like, well, why are we here? I, I think I would have been more okay with it had it not won the Pulitzer. That's correct. Like it was like I would have thought, oh, this is just a nice novel. But like, I mean, a, a Pulitzer, you expect. Anyway, I did not like it. I with you. Okay, what's the last great book you read? You're going to make fun of me, maybe. Um, it's It just came out um, a few weeks ago, uh, The Ladies Who Punch. I don't know that. Um, it's the like backstory of The View. Oh. and I, You know, I love The View. I used to TiVo it every single day. I did not know that. Yeah, I used to watch – when I'd stay homesick from school, that was my jam. Tracy, mm. you I have to need, read it. Uh, Tracy, it's beautiful. Okay. It's, I mean, I, I'm the same. Like, I didn't – I wasn't – I didn't TiVo it, but – Certainly having been there, that was probably the show that I booked the most as a, I mean, they were yeah. just very good about booking authors and, um, it, I, it's, it gives you so much backstory. You get crazy, crazy, um, backstage antics and I mean, re, it's, it's, an, it's insane. Okay. Um, That's, yeah. I, I do need to, read. I do know ladies who punch. Okay. What are you reading right now? A few books. Um, one suggested by you a long time ago, but I just picked it up. Um, eloquent rage mm. about maybe a sixth of the way in. Okay. And I love it. I love how much she talks about Beyonce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the way the it's, it's just beautiful. I, she's, she's, uh, and I'm like, it's one that I'm like recommending to people even before I finish right. it. So, um, and then I, I picked up this book called familiar spirits when I was in Key West because I went into a bookstore and I have to buy something every time I go into an independent <laughs> bookstore. And it's about these two gay poets who true story who later in life became obsessed with the Ouija board. Never heard of them until this. I just picked it up because it was $6 used and I'm obsessed with it. And now I'm reading one of the guy's books of poetry. I don't know why. Okay. What are <laughs> some things that are on your radar that you're looking forward to coming out soon or just things you've been on your list that you haven't gone to yet? 
the um, two year the two term Kamala Harris retrospective after she serves uh, as our president for okay. eight years. Yeah. How, did you read her book? I have it. I have not. I have I that have. and Pete Buttigieg's uh, to read. I have hers on audiobook, like through the library, but I don't think I'm going to get to it because I'm listening to Michelle Obama. And but you, oh my God, Joseph just told me something, you guys. This is major life hack. If you already are doing this, you're amazing. If you're not, we're about to be amazing. Do you know that you can listen to audiobooks faster speed? Like through Libby or Libro FM or Audible or whatever, you can listen at one, which is the regular speed or like 1.5 or 1.75. So instead of saying like, I walked into my house and saw my mother, it's more like I walked into my house and saw my mother. That was so perfect. That was actually really perfect. I think that was about a 1.5 that you just did. And I was, yeah, right before we started, I pulled out my phone and and I accidentally pressed play on an audiobook. And she, Tracy said, is that, why is that so fast? And I was like, because I sped it up. And, and I was like, she, this is possible. Because Michelle, I loved Michelle's book, but if I think I had to do like 1.75 on it that. It is 24 hours long. It That is too I, long for me. I don't. But if it's 1.5, does that make it like 18 hours? It does. I mean, you can see, and it, that's what's remarkable is once you change the speed, the time, you know, Ugh, the time jumps. It's Michelle, a beautiful thing. I'm going to love you even more. Yeah. And I, I mean, of course, love Michelle Obama, but she read it very slowly. She sure did. She talks slow. They both talk slow. Sure. I feel like powerful people talk slow because they know people are listening. (laughs) Is that why I'm talking so fast? That's why I literally speed talk, but it's fine. Okay. Um, I, so I do want to read her actual book. Um, I want to read, excuse me. Yes. Uh, Kamala Harris and, uh, and, uh, Pete Buttigieg's. (laughs) Um, That's hard. It is hard. That's hard to Um, say. Those are two that I would like to read ahead of primary season. How do you pick what you're going to read next? It's a mix. I mean, I, Honestly, I'm not just saying this because I'm here, but like listening to you and like following you on social media, like I get a great, um, like I can see. And also, I mean, knowing your taste and and knowing where our taste overlap and I seeing books that you like that might f- fall into my interest. Um, and then I love, I mean, I, I will subscribe to a magazine solely because they do book reviews, mm. which is like the old, like the, I think the like publicist in me, but mm-hmm. like I just subscribe to entertainment weekly and I like, oh. I like EW, but sure. I, I realized like they actually do good book coverage and they mm. will cover as, you know, for a book, for a paper, uh, magazine that's 20 pages long, they'll have like two pages of books. And that's, that's good. In 2019, that's big, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I do that and I do, uh, Libro, no, Libby to mm-hmm. checking out from the library. So sometimes it's just what's available. What's available. Yeah. yeah. It's happened to me a few times. What's a book that you like to recommend to people? Well, <laughs> so I'm obsessed with Scientology. And something we share. This is something we share. Um, although a previous guest on this podcast, uh, Sam Pinkleton uh, and Tracy were talking about their feelings about Scientology and our other obsession, Charles Manson, and I was left out of the conversation. So I'm surprised you even brought me in to, this, <laughs> to, uh, to confer with you on Scientology. But everyone, we'll get to that later. Well, you and, were the second pick thank you. after Sam. I, I really, clearly, I'm here a year <laughs> later. Um, the, so everyone raves about the um the, the one Scientology book inside um, Scientology in, no. no everyone was about going clear going clear which and is great it's a great book but Lawrence Wright Lawrence Wright and oh I want to read his new Texas book mm. uh, going back to the other question mm-hmm. um I'm just really concerned with white people Tracy I hear this we're gonna have to fix this <laughs> go back to the Brittany Cooper um I can do both no I'm kidding I'm not that concerned with white people um oh oh so everyone raves about the Lawrence Wright book and I think it's a great book but 
I think there's a ton of assumed knowledge in that Mm -hmm. book. I love Janet Reitman's Inside Scientology. I think it's such a good primer. And she goes into the the lives of a a number of Scientologists in a way that I haven't read. Mm -hmm. So I love and I want I always want to bring people over. You recommended that to me when I was reading Inside Scientology. When you were reading Going Clear. Shit. Yeah. When I was reading Going Clear or I was about to read it. Yeah. Because I feel like there was a time where you, me, Sam, and then my husband were all reading some Scientology book at the same time. I'm like rotating and being like, add this to the list. Add this to the list. When my husband and I were reading our Scientology books, we one night woke up in the same nightmare. We were on one of their bases in Southern California. Nope. And I mean, I don't know how that happened, but we like hmm. shot up out of bed in the same in the same nightmare. It was terrifying. No, thank you. Yeah. What's the last good book someone recommended to you? Oh, it's, I mean, it would have come from you. Sorry. It's okay. Um, I love that. Wait, wait, what was it? It wasn't less. People who eat darkness. It was people who eat darkness. Yeah. Thank you. Um, which was one. I don't think you you haven't talked about it on the show yet, but I you mean, reviewed yeah. it. Yeah. I, I read it and reviewed it when I was in Japan. Yeah. You know, I love a serial killer book, which mm-hmm. I feel weird about sometimes, but I I thought it was it was such a unique look at a murder mm-hmm. um, and told, and also a just a fascinating look at the Japanese uh, judicial system, which yeah. is so different than ours. So different. And and the crime, they don't have crime there the way they that don't. we have crime. Well, when I was in Japan, I was like, oh, I was reading the book and I was like, they don't have crime here. And then I was, when I got there and I was still reading the book, I was like, oh, they don't have crime here. Right. Like I was like, oh, they don't have crime. They have like petty crime. Nope, no crime. Like we would be on the train station platform with our suitcases and you could leave your suitcase outside of like the little bodega, go inside, get food and come outside and your bag was just sitting there. Like good luck trying that in New York City. Right. And and so when they are faced with this murder, yeah, they don't know what to do and they fumble at, at every step. Yeah, and- it's crazy. Um, okay, well, let's see. Are there any things that you wish were different about your reading life? I wish I, I just wish I was faster. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I wish that's about it. I, I'm a slow reader. Yeah. It's funny. I've heard people sometimes say they wish they were a slower reader. People say that? Yeah, because they are like fast readers. They don't pay attention. And they don't remember and they kind of like skim everything. Oh, yeah. Like, I've heard of people who only read what's in the quote marks. They don't read like if there's like a conversation on the page, they don't read like he said angrily or whatever. Like they like just want to get through. I'm that's, not one of those people. No, that's, and that's infuriating. That's hard. What are, well, we talked a little bit about you love a cult, you love a murder, you love a Scientologist. What are some genres that you're not so into? I always, I've tried. In fact, I tried to pick up, um, uh, the other day I did pick up uh, and purchased, um, how long till black future, uh, black future month. month. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I picked up how long until black future month and, I really wanted, I mean, the, the title was just compelling. I was sort of mm-hmm. hoping it was like nonfiction essays, but mm-hmm. then I realized, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'll give this a try. Cause I was not like when I was working in publishing, I was not reading genre fiction cause I didn't have right. to, I just can't get into it and I want to. So like those like series books I've never read, yeah. you know, I just have tried and I fail. What about authors that you love or don't love besides Jonathan Franzen? <laughs> you know, I, that's the thing too, is I, I don't really have. Um, like even the book, even my favorite books, like, like, uh, history of love and, and middle sex and some uh, those, you know, I don't always love their next book. Right. Um, you're not like an author fan. You're a book. Yeah. Fan. I like the, 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 the art instead of I the artist. I kind of feel like yeah. that too. Like I, the only author that I, I stand for a few authors. One is Dave Cullen, who I love. Sure. One is John Krakauer, who I love. And then Julia Shears, who wrote a thousand 
A Thousand Lives, yes. about Jonestown. Wait, what else did she write? She has a memoir about growing up with adopted black brothers. It's called Jesus Land. You've not read it? No. I've not. Joseph, you're going to die. It's so good. Oh <laughs> you're going to love it. I'm like, can we stop now? Yeah. This go. podcast is over. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Bye-bye. It's so nice to be here. <laughs> Come to our next podcast. Joseph reads Jesus Land <laughs> out loud and remarks. <laughs> oh my God. You have to read it. It's so good. Jesus it's- Land. It's one of those books that I always tell people about, and I feel like people don't believe me, and then they read it, and then they're like, oh my god, this book's amazing. But it's like, it doesn't sound like it's going to be great, or it sounds like it's going to be something that it's not. It's very dark. It's very heavy. There's like child abuse in it. So just if you're one of those people who can't hang with dark and heavy, don't read it. Don't at me. Don't be mad. I think think I've definitely seen it, uh, but I think I grew up very religious and Mm. had all that. So I think sometimes I'm just like, oh, I've already, you know, I've lived it. You've not done this one. No, clearly not. This one is And also A Thousand Lives is incredible. She's an incredible. She's an incredible writer. So that's another recommendation for Catherine for mistold. I was going to say that. And then I couldn't remember the title. A Thousand Um, Lives by Julia Shears. Uh, okay. What's the last book that m- made you laugh? Oh, um, Jennifer Lewis's memoir, mm, um, the last black, black mother, black, the black oh. mother of Hollywood, yes. or I think I might've left a word out. I think I combined it with Tiffany Hash's book. Um, oh, the last, I said the black, last black mother. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it is the black mother of Hollywood. Okay. Um, and I did the no, audio. I think it's just the mother of Hollywood. The mother of black Hollywood. Ah. No, black is in the title. Okay, well, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Orphan Black. <laughs> yes. Um, she, I did the audio, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's everything you want it to be. I mean, she's incredible. And I, I didn't know her early career. She has a, she has a huge Broadway um, mm, history yeah. that I didn't know about and a Bette Midler history that I didn't know about. She calls herself a dick diva, which <laughs> I'm just all for. Sure, big dick um, energy. Yeah. Um, okay, what's the last book that made you cry? I t- Tenderbox, the book that we're going to talk about today. I was, I, I think I cried within um, the first you know, on the first few pages because it. Um, well, wait, don't go into why. Okay. Well, that's just a tease. We're going to do Tinderbox next week by Robert L. Mm. Robert L. Robert W. Fiesler, and it's about a fire. It's like a true crime about a gay bar that was set on fire. Anyways, we're going to do that next week, but so we'll save the crying for then. Okay. What's the last book that made you angry? Uh, Say Nothing. Um, the book that just came out about the IRA, like the Irish Protestant mm. Catholic. And I think it just made me angry because that conflict that mm-hmm. killed mm-hmm. hundreds, maybe thousands of people was just so dumb. There was just no point to it. <laughs> right. Um, like most religious conflicts. And I'm not discounting anyone's religion, but it's just, there was no, there, there was I don't no, know right. what, I read that book. It's an incredible book. It's so well-researched. And I just, I, I left it thinking that I, I started it because I've really never understood any of those, any of that conflict. And I still don't like it. And I think that's the point. There, it, there right. was no reason for any of it. And I'm just angry that so many people died for, right. and there, for what end? What's the last book that brought you joy? Or what's a book that brings you joy? I pick I pick up um, Nikki Giovanni's book, mm. uh, her her collected poetry book, which full disclosure, I was a publicist on one of her books, mm. but- um, and she's a Virginian. She is a Virginian. And uh, she's just iconic. And I love her poetry. And it's there's an, there's such an ease to it. Yeah. Um, I don't I never write in books and I don't like to like keep bookmarks in books even if I'm oh. not, you know, once they're on the shelf. Like I want um, hers. I have like thousands of little post-it really? notes things. Maybe not thousands. But um, so I love picking that up from time to time because it's just, you know, it's like a quick dose of right. whatever. 
Right. I, w- I saw her. I was recently, I was at Skylight Books, which is here in LA, and Kwame Alexander, who's a children's like middle grade author, YA middle grade, his book had come out and she was in conversation with him for to promote it because she had been his teacher at Virginia Tech like mm. years and years ago. And so before the event started, they're just like shooting the shit and she's like singing and she's like t- doing her poetry and they're talking about Kwame being bad. And like it, she was just such an intoxicating human. Like you just wanted to soak up and she would like, someone would ask a question and she'd be like, well, in my poem. And then she'd like yes. transition and be like, yes. da, 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 and like her, and she's iconic as a civil rights completely, but she's also iconic as a poet. She's like, she's an I- iconic figure and queer. And then she's queer. And her partner was there. Jenny. Uh, I didn't meet her, but yeah, it just was like really cool to see her because I didn't know a lot about her. And after seeing her, I was like, let me do some research. And I was like, wait, what? You were here. You did this. You said that. Like, I think if anyone's listening and they're like ever afraid of poetry or just think it's sometimes like over their head, which sometimes I do too. I think her poetry is an excellent entry um, point. Yes. Because it's not roses are red, violets are blue, but it is, it's very accessible and it's just it's human. It's really, really, uh, she's, she's so powerful. One of my, one of my big proudest accomplishments as a publicist was, um, getting her, I, the book that I worked on of hers was her first book to ever become a New York times bestseller, Mm. which I can't take credit. It was after the Virginia tech shooting. Oh, so that was obviously, you know, she was, she was in the news after that, but I got her on Colbert when he, when his show was on comedy central. And, um, that was just, that was surreal. That's very cool. What was the last book that you read where you felt like you learned a lot? <laughs> I don't I don't know if this is the last one, but for some reason <laughs> this is the first one that came to mind was this <laughs> this is terrible. Um it was a book I was the publicist for at HarperCollins and it was called Love Sex Again. And it, oh. <laughs> it was about um it was written by a gynecologist. So naturally you would assign me to be right. the publicist for that book. I do not know why. I don't know if I was being punked. But um, I don't know a lot about the female body or um, what sex is like for a woman. And I didn't. And I, of course, had to read the book because I had to write a press release for it and I had to pitch it and I had to talk about it. And um, so now you do. So now, I mean, I know a lot more than I did before. In theory, but not in practice. Definitely not in practice. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah. For all of us. Jeez. Are there any books? I mean, you've read a bazillion books. So are there any books that you're embarrassed that you've still not gotten to? Jesus Land, apparently. That's Um, right. Actually, yes. I mean, one, Columbine, which because you and I have been talking about it. you've still not read it? I I bought it the other day. I don't know why I haven't read it. Like there's zero reason. There's zero reason. Well, you know, so you should read it like now. I am. Okay. Um, Glad we did that. Yep. Uh, It's it's on the list. I mean, I I bought it. and, and because I want to read his Parkland book, but I want this to read Columbine year first. Is 20 years since Columbine, yeah. which is crazy right. to think. Um, but also for me, I just, I don't think I've read the, any of like the classics. Like right. I just, I, I don't know why. I mean, I went to Virginia public schools. I mean, and we read, definitely read some of them. I mean, I read Faulkner and I read Fitzgerald and like some of those, right. but like I've never read any of the big ones. I've and never read any of like the like the Russians or like sure, Dumas no. or whatever. Right. And I mean, I guess I don't know. Am I I don't know if I'm embarrassed. I mean, I'm too slow of a reader to actually read them and I'd rather read something more current. So right. maybe I'm not embarrassed, but right. so I guess Columbine and Jesus Land would be my answer. And that makes me very happy and proud of you. 
Do you have favorite a favorite book from childhood? So I wasn't much of a reader as a kid and you I wasn't weren't. read to. Because um, you were out with raccoons. I was out with... <laughs> Joseph was like a super animal nature kid. You're still an animal person. You have to right. send the raccoon picture so I can share it I will. in my Instagram. I had, before anybody gets mad, I had a wildlife rehabilitation license. So okay. I was licensed to do all mammals except wildcats. Okay. Um, and so we rehabbed animals. Um, instead of reading. And Well, it wasn't instead of reading. I just, my parents weren't readers mm. except the Bible. And, um, you know, so I, it just wasn't a, it, we didn't grow up, I didn't grow up in a reading house, Got it. but I remember when the bookmobile started coming to the neighborhood, mm. it was, that was my first like, oh wait, like these are just, I can just take these. And, mm. and I mean, it, it, it's weird. Cause it's, I think it's that thing that we sort of all take for granted, but, and it was when I read the library book recently, like by Susan Orlean, like kind of was taken back to like my first book experiences, which were a little different than, than most people's, but I distinctly remember taking home James and the giant peach, mm. which is probably a little bit of a cliched answer, but I, I think it may have been the first book that I picked out on my own and just read I that book too. Yeah. I mean, it's also had aligned book tastes, I guess you and I, well, right. From yeah. James and giant peach. Are there any favorite books that you remember that were assigned to you in school that you actually read? Beloved. Oh, um, Tony Morrison. I've uh, still, well, when you guys hear this, I will have read Beloved, but at the time of recording, I've still not read Beloved, but we're doing it on the show. Oh, good. So actually the episode before this one is the Beloved episode. Okay. Well, I might try to, I might try to reread before Beloved and their eyes were watching God. And it was probably because my 11th grade English teacher, Cindy Merricks, who was this finally a a person who, I mean, I don't think I'd ever been exposed. I, I certainly had not been exposed to different voices. Mm-hmm. And that, that class, that 11th grade English class was when I, I think the first time I read authors of color. And I don't right. think, I don't think I liked them consciously, you know, because, right. but like I, the voices were just so different. It was so, um, it, it was just such a different experience than, you know, these old white guys that I, that right. you constantly read. And I just, I, I, both of those really stuck out to me. It's interesting because I feel like we're taught, you know, whiteness is not a monolith, like that you can be individual as a white person. But I do think that there's something about the literature that's taught in school where the white male voice does become almost like the same. And so anything outside of that is often super exciting, especially in a school context. But I never really thought about why that is until you said that, that like maybe because we're hearing so much of the same kind of author that when we hear these other voices, there's something new and exciting. Even if you're not sitting there at 16 being like, I like this because it's diverse. Like I like this because it's different. It just feels different or like excites something in you without that intellectual connection. And I think too, I mean, growing up, I mean, young and gay and all that. I mean, I I wasn't really out in high school, but you know, when you, when you find a voice that is marginalized right. and I'm not comparing, you know. Sure. But there's something the, you can but, connect to right, in more, that voice. Right, more so than just like William Faulkner's characters or, right. you know, uh, Death of a Salesman, which obviously is a play, but, um, right, sure. you know, but you read it and, you know, I mean, this disaffected white family, which right. like, cool, I guess, but there's so much of that. I mean, I, I like the Scarlet Letter stuck out to me, but mm-hmm. like, I think just because like it's centered it's a woman. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean And a persecuted woman. And right. someone who was othered because of their sexual Right. Anyways. Okay. If you were gonna assign a book in school, 
Preferably high school. Yeah. I don't want to do YA. I sort of wish like for this one, like there needs to be like, you know, one of those charts that are those um, little things that you like spin around and you mm-hmm. like, you have to match up things. Like, I feel like if you live in the South where mm-hmm. I grew up, like you need to read an adequate book about slavery. Sure. I want, I don't, you know what that is, is not coming to mind right now, but, or, or if not about slavery, about the black experience. Right. If you, you know, live in the Midwest, you need to read killers of the flower, flower moon or yeah. whatever, you know, something that like deals with the specific ignorance and, and travesty that occurred like where you, where are. you are, I, good. you know, I mean, I don't know. That's a bit of an oversimplification, but I, cause I don't, I mean, at least I don't know if kids are reading that these days or those, the, it wasn't part of our reading growing right. up. And so I worry that it's still not in, right. in the areas that it needs to be. Okay. I'm going to ask you two more questions. What is a favorite adaptation of a book to film or TV or something where you thought it was better than the book? Okay. I think everyone's going to hate this because probably no one's even read it, but the horse whisperer, Oh, Oh, the eye roll that I just got was intense. Um, it, do do you remember that book or movie? No. Okay. It was like a, I mean, it was like a step up from like a James Patterson type book, but it was this like young girl. I mean, I was, I grew up with horses. I do remember the movie. Yeah. Robert Redford was in the movie. Yes, 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 yes. And so I grew up with horses and you know, blah, blah, blah. My raccoon past has already been exposed as well. (laughs) But I, you know, it just was, the, the book was fine, but the movie was really well done. And, and like, I love, I also love books and movies about affairs. Like, I just think they, it's good reading. Yeah. It's also, yeah. I like it too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last one. Favorite. If you could assign our current president of the United States, one book to read, what would it be? I mean, I think like when dealing with Trump, like uh, he's obviously, he obviously doesn't want to read any book. So this question is a little bit fantastic. Yeah. But I think it has to be taken in like, I'm taking it in like, what book am I forcing him to read? Sure. And it would be whichever book of Hillary Clinton's is longest. <laughs> like, I think, like, I'm trying to think, like, what would inflict the most discomfort on him? Sure. But if, like, like if you pried open his eyes, a la, what's that movie where they pry open the eyes? Anyway, um, not The Shining. Anyway, uh, Clockwork Orange. Uh-huh. Um, I, it wasn't Clockwork Orange. Somebody will tell us. Um, Don't but, at me. Just at Joseph, please. Yeah, at Joseph Papa on Twitter. <laughs> P-A-P-A. Um, yeah, I just want him to, like, suffer through his, his enemy's uh, uh, best work. I feel that. That's a good answer. Thank you. Okay. We're done for Thank today. God. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry you had to put up with this. I no, This was great. Um, friends, we're going to be back next week. We're going to be talking about Tinderbox, the untold story of the upstairs lounge fire and the rise of gay liberation by Robert W. Fiesler. Read it. We'll be talking about it next week with Joseph. Until then, thank you, Joseph. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. And we'll see you guys in the stacks. All right. That does it for us today on The Stacks. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you again to Joseph for being our guest today. Joseph will be back to join us on June 5th for our discussion of Tinderbox by Robert W. Fiesler. You can also hear Robert on The Short Stacks from our episode on May 20th to learn more about his approach in writing the book. Everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the show notes. For more on The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, The Stacks Pod Podcast.com. Remember, you can get your book recommendations read on the air by sending us an email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. 
To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show and a lot more, go to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And please, 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 if you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 